I want you to turn in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one as a gift before you leave. But on the screen will be the Word of God. And we love the Word of God. Psalm 37. And of course, when you preached and you've been at the same church for 20 years, I'm sure I've preached on this before, but I can't remember. Uh, but it's, it's new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. And Psalm 37 Verse 1, we're going to find our title in verse 3, but I want to read 11 verses, and I want this to speak to you. This is going to really help us today. Psalm 37, verse 1, this is the Word of God. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon Die away. Trust in the Lord. Everybody say that. Trust in the Lord. Say it again. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. There it is again. Trust in Him. And He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still. Be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. You know, people can, can succeed in their ways without God, but it doesn't last. It says, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. He said that twice, didn't he? Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. We're going to inherit some land. Amen? A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek, the meek are those who submit. The meek are those who are not fighting for themselves. They're not self-assertive. They're letting the Lord fight their battles. It's like saying, the battle is the Lord. I'm going to watch you fight this battle, Lord. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Father, thank you for your word today. Lord, you know we need food. We know the sheep of your pastor need to be fed. I pray this word would feed us today, that we want to feed on your faith. We want to feed on the unchanging truth of the word of God. We want to feed on Christ and the bread of life. We want to feed on the Holy Spirit today. We want to feed. We want to, as our Jason prayed, that the cup of our hearts would overflow. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' great name, amen. And amen. One of the great miracles of the Bible, and it's repeated over and over again. In fact, it is a, an illustration that God uses of his power and of his might. He uses over and over again. He, all through the Old Testament, when God wanted to tell his people and remind his people how powerful he is, he would always point back to the Red Sea crossing. He'd always point back of his people being delivered 
out of Egypt, out of Pharaoh's hand, out of the Egyptian army's hands, Red Sea parting and crossing, going across to the other side. It's a demonstration of the power of God. You'll see it illustrated through all the Old Testament. But here's something interesting. God did not bring them out, with a, he said, with, a, with his mighty hand. God did not bring the people of God, the Jewish nation, Israel. He did not bring them out just to get them to have a campsite on the other side of the Red Sea and just camp out there for the rest of their lives. But there was a plan, and it was called the Promised Land. It mentions it here. It's a great translation, by the way. The meek shall inherit the earth, but it really is the land it was the land of Israel. That was their promised land, you understand. The word says this in Exodus 3 and 8, to, and I'm, I'm going to read the middle part of this verse, to bring them out, that's out, that's out of Egypt, but notice this, and into, you, you're coming out of something, but we're just not coming out of sin. You know, we talked to the uh, gentleman, the inspector today, he gave me his testimony, he said, I was a methamphetamine addict for 30 years. And Jesus saved me. And then he said he's the head deacon now. I'm telling you, Jesus is in the life-changing business. That's why we're building this church, not for our comfort. It would have been much more comfortable just to not do that, right? Come on, deacons, it's been uncomfortable, hasn't it? But we're going to where God, we're going to get to where God wants us to get. Deacon said, yeah, it's been really uncomfortable, Pastor. What have you done to us? I've always noticed if it works out great, we did it. If it works out bad, Pastor, you did it. Come on, Amen. But anyway, no, we, we're, we're doing this. The Lord's going to do it. So, but, but here's what I'm saying. The Lord just didn't bring them out, but he wants to bring you into something. He said, once again, Exodus 3 and 8, to bring them out of the land into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And, he, and, and I won't quote the rest of that verse or read the rest of that verse. See, you could categorize the Bible like this. The Bible is a twofold book. The Bible is a book about salvation. But that's, it's not only a book about salvation. The Bible is also a book, let me use this word, about sanctification. So in other words, there's only one Savior. What's his name? He's the only Savior. And there's only one saving message. There's only one message that can save us. It's, the, it's in the B-I-B-L-E. It's the Word of God. We're saved by the gospel, by the message of Jesus Christ. So just as Israel came out of Egypt, that's a type of salvation. But after salvation, we have to ask this, what now? After they came out of Egypt, they didn't just camp on the other side and said and sing for you know, another 40 years, we're saved, we're saved, we're saved. God had a plan for them. God had a destination for them. And listen, when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that's the most wonderful gift there is. That's the most wonderful blessing there is. To know that we are washed in the blood, our sins are forgiven, and to know that we are reconciled with God. But that's not the end of the story. God has a life for us to live. So one part of the message of the Bible is God redeems us. He saves us. But the other part is this, sanctification, which means this, living a life that pleases God. How does that happen? How do I live for God? 
Have we come out of Egypt? In other words, it's a type of salvation? Yes. So now what do we do? In other, in other words, let me, let me say it this way. If, someone, if we give a gospel call and we say, if you want to be saved and repent of your sins and trust Christ, and they come down to the, the island and say yes, and they pray and they come to Jesus, we don't tell them, okay, that's it. That's all you got to do. No, that's not the end. What is that? That's the beginning of a brand new life in Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul said in, in, in his writings. He says, as you have received the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. There's a walk, there's a life that God wants us to live to please him. The Bible calls that word sanctification, a holy, godly life. Not, not us doing in our own energy because we're weak in ourselves. You say, well, the Christian life is hard. Wrong. No, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. No one can live for God without God's empowering grace and the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. It's not you. It's Christ in you. The hope of glory, Galatians 2.20 says. Here in Psalm 37, really the theme is the heritage of the righteous, but the calamity of the wicked. What we see in 40 verses, now you notice I didn't read 40 verses. We'd be here a while. But it really talks about the happy state of the godly, but the short-lived prosperity of the wicked. We really, the, the whole chapter, all these 40 verses, we see three things. One, we see what the righteous do. We also see what the wicked do. But more importantly, we see what God will do for his people when they walk with him and trust him. So I want to look at these few verses that we've chosen today. And there's really five things that God says that he wants us to do. See, we're surrounded by a wicked world. How do we live for God in a wicked world? I mean, our nation's going the wrong way spiritually, right? I mean, we're not going to stick our head in the sand and say, it's woe is me and, and, and it's going to get worse. No, I believe in the middle of this, God's going to send a move of his spirit to churches. And Brother Jason, as you said, it might have already started in, in Asbury College. You know, Asbury College, really, the Asbury, uh, Mr. Asbury was, a, was an itinerant Methodist preacher from, the, from England, really. They, they came from England and, and brought revival. They brought the message of God. And God swept England. God swept this nation in the Methodist revivals and those great and wonderful camp meetings. And if you read the history of our nation back then, uh, there, it was a wicked time in, in this nation. Revivals often come when, the, when it's the dark of the night. See, because where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Notice what God says here. Notice the instructions. The Lord in this Psalm 37 starts out with something we don't need to do. Now, there's five other things we, we do, are supposed to do. But the first thing he said here is this. Do not envy the wicked because their happiness is short-lived. Do you hear that? Don't envy... The wicked, I'll read it again. Do not, verse 1, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. The New King James says, they will soon be cut down as the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, we know that the scripture tells us about sin. And one of the things that it says about sin is that there is pleasure in sin. That's the hook for, for us as human beings. There is pleasure in it. It's like Eve, when she saw the fruit, it was desirable and that's the hook, the, the, 
the world, the flesh, the devil, the sensual pleasures of this world seek to tempt us away from God into sin. But there is sin that is pleasurable. But notice this, it's only temporary. Everybody say temporary. See, it's like, it's like it draws us in subtly and deceptively, but it's like a python that just squeezes the joy. The joy is very short-lived. The life is very short-lived, and it just squeezes the joy and the life. Where real life and real happiness is walking with Christ, walking with Jesus. The Scripture does say that finding the, the fleeting pleasures of sin, it says, in John, it says it's the world's pleasures and its desires, it pass away. They, they pass away. In other words, they're very fleeting. So here's what I would say. Evildoers will not succeed forever. Now, this is a promise from the very word of God. In our nation, in many camps and in many areas right now, we see evil succeeding. We have to admit that. We see evil progressing in many ways. But I can tell you this, it will not last forever don't, the book is not closed yet. God is not done yet with this nation and with his church. And by the way, the church will never cease to exist. Evil will never stop the church. Why, why is that? Jesus said he'd build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. He said in, this, in the first, I won't stay long here, but I will say this. You'll notice the verb, verbiage. Notice the words of the Holy Spirit here. That evil and evildoers and those who don't repent... And, and let me just stop and say that the Lord's not willing that any should perish. The blood of Jesus is for every human being. He will come to Christ. But there comes a time when God says they will be cut down if they don't turn God's way. Suddenly, evildoers will be cut down. Do you see the earthquake in Turkey? There's over 30,000 people. Buildings crumbling, if you saw some of those buildings, they were just going throughout their lives, just living their lives. And all of a sudden, this earthquake takes place, and these buildings implode upon these people. And there's over 30,000 people right now, and there's probably more. There may be 40 or 50,000 people. Suddenly, things can happen. But those are temporary things. Those are things that happen in a fallen world, or not necessarily a judgment of God, but there is coming a day that those who reject God and reject His Word and deny His name and blaspheme His name, they're going to be cut down one day. Because God is not only a merciful Savior, He's also one day will be the final judge of every human being. And it says here that they will be cut down. Evil won't last forever. It won't always be like this. Listen to Deuteronomy. This is the, the Good News Bible says this. The Lord remembers what their enemies have done. He waits for the right time to punish them. The Lord will take revenge and punish them. The time will come when they will fall. The day of their doom is near. The Lord will rescue His people when He sees their strength is gone. He will have mercy on those who serve Him. When he sees how helpless they are. Suddenly the wicked will be cut down. Suddenly evildoers that persist. They laugh at God. They laugh at his word. They deny God. One day they'll be cut down. We have illustrations of this in the scriptures. We read in Acts chapter 12. There was a man by the name of Herod. He was one of the king. Now there's many Herods. 
But Herod the Great, he was a wacko. I mean, if you've ever read histories of the Herods, they were, they were a wicked bunch. They, were even, they even hated each other. They killed each other. But this Herod in Acts 12, Scripture says that he, put, he killed James, the brother of John. It was the, that was the brother of the John that wrote the three little letters. He wrote the gospel. He wrote the revelation. And his brother James was killed with the sword. Then took Peter and placed Peter in prison. But the church began to pray. Remember this? The church didn't accept it. Sometimes we accept things that we shouldn't accept. Listen, if something comes in our families, in our lives, something comes against our church, we don't just need to say, well, it's just, let's just give up. No, the church got on their face and the church on their face before God and crying out to our mighty heavenly Father is a powerful force. And the church prayed, and the Lord sent an angel and let Peter out. In the end of that chapter 12, it says this Herod went away from there, and then finally one day he was giving a speech. And the people were saying, this is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of a God. And it says in Acts 12, verse 23, Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But, everybody say but, but the word of God continued to spread. Evil will not last forever. We have it, we have it here. A persecutor of the church, a blasphemer of God, a very wicked, wicked man. And the worms, they said toward the end, history has told us that he stunk so bad nobody even wanted to be in the same room that he was in. Why? Because God cut him down. We should not envy wicked people. We should not envy them because one day they will be cut down. And the scripture says here, verse verse. Uh, 2 of chapter 37, Psalm, they will fade away, they will, or they will die away. The enemies, in, maybe in your life, the enemies that the church faces today around the world, one day they will die away. Those, are, those in North Korea, it's very hard. There's Christians that are in North Korea, thousands of Christians in North Korea. It is the, it, North Korea is the hardest place on the face of the earth to live for God. There are prison camps and torture camps. It's very hard to live for God. But one day that regime will come down. One day those who persecuted God's lovely, holy people are going to come down. It says here, he's going to cut them down. God won't tolerate it forever. They're going to fade away one day. Just like Pharaoh and his pride, he sought the people of God to destroy them. But they drowned in the sea. Their armies drowned in the sea and in a moment of time. And he said this, Moses said this, The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. One day, God will rid the earth of every enemy of his after they completely rejected his mercy. He's reaching to them in love and mercy. But one day they'll reject him. And they will fade away. Are you hearing that today? Don't envy the wicked. But we're surrounded by wickedness. We're surrounded by enemies. Pastor, how do we live for God? Our, sec- our schools are becoming so much more secular. They become places of ungodly ideology. What they're doing to children today in grooming them in certain ways is a wicked evil. I heard a lady the other day said they need to leave the children alone. I say, amen. That's why we're going to have 5,000 square feet of kid space because we want to teach them God's plan. Come on, we want to teach them God's way. Pastor, how do we live for God? 
There's five things that God says in the midst of the wickedness, in the midst of a wicked world. As we have come across the waters of the Red Sea and we've made our way toward the promised land and we're seeking to live lives that are pleasing to God. Here's what God says quickly. First thing he says in verse 3 is trust. Trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell on the land and enjoy safely, safety, or safe pasture. Trust. Everyone say trust. That means this. We are to fully trust our lives to Jesus Christ. God, our Heavenly Father, is absolutely trustworthy. His character is flawless and perfect. His promises are absolutely true, and you can count on them. God is faithful to his nature. It says in Timothy, if we are faithless, which we can be faithless, but God can never be faithless. We can be unfaithful, but God cannot. Why? It says this, he remains faithful. He cannot disown himself. That means this. It means God cannot and God will not ever act in a way that's outside of the character and nature that he possesses, which is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly loving, perfectly faithful. That's always how he's going to operate. He is faithful, and you can trust him with your lives. You can trust him to always do the right thing in your life. You can entrust yourself to the Lord, and it says he will keep you safe. I'm safe today. Are you safe today? I'm safe today in the arms of Jesus. Those are great arms to be in. Amen? Amen. Trust in the Lord. Do good. We, we can trust his promises. Why? He can never lie. You ever told a lie? Yep. Come on, don't be lying to me up in here. Oh, I, I've told, I, a little kid, I told a big old lie. But here's the question. Have you ever been caught telling a lie? Oh, man, I got caught telling a little kid. Caught lying. I was still, I was a little lying thief. I stole something too from JC Penney's. Stole a flashlight from JC Penney's. Little kid. How I many you know we're sinful from our mother's womb? Come on, don't leave me up here by myself. Confess your sin too. There was a little end cap with a bunch of flashlights there. And I said, I want one. It was only 25 cents back then in, you know, 1942, you know, it's back there. Dinosaurs lived, you know, things. <laughs> you know, no, no yes, that's right. Amen, Missy. And, uh, but I, uh, so he said, no, no, put that back. So I did. I put it back right in my pocket. <laughs> Took it home. Got caught. Got caught bad. I won't go into holster. You've heard it before. Most of you heard it before. It so traumatized me. I wouldn't pick up a paper clip today. It, it was terrible. But anyway, God doesn't lie. Come on. God does not lie. In fact, Hebrews says things which is, it is impossible for him to lie. 
Pastor, what does it mean when it says trust the Lord? What does that mean? Well, the first thing it means is give your life to Jesus. Surrender your life to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Believe upon him and be born again. That's the first step. You're you're not trusting God in any way unless you've taken that first step to be born again. But it also means this. Because remember, we've come out of Egypt. We've come across the Red Sea. And we have faith for salvation But we also need to keep having faith that God will meet our needs. You know, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, in fact, it says it here in another form, don't worry. But we do sometimes, don't we? You ever have anxiety? Say yes. Yeah, we do. We can get anxiety. We can worry about things. We can have restless nights. You say, what is that, Pastor? You want me to shoot straight with you? Do you want me to shoot straight with you? You want me to tell you what it really is? What it is in me when I get anxious, when I worry? What it really is, is a lack of faith in God. We're actually saying to God, you can't take care of me. We're actually saying in a nonverbal way, you don't know what you're doing in my life. You don't know what you're doing in our family. You know, Lord, you took a vacation somewhere along the way because you, you must be gone because this is bad in my life right now. But the truth is, he watches over us. He's watch- so, the psalmist says he watches over us with his eyes. We're never out of his sight. We're never out of his care. He's constantly with us. In fact, he's not just with us. He's within us because we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are temples of God. We're close to God. Trusting him. The Bible says this, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous will live by faith. See? Here's what also it says. The psalmist also said in verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord. Not only trust, but he said delight. Delight is an instruction that God said, I want. What, what does it mean to delight in the Lord? What it means is to delight in God really means to love God. You love Him. You delight in Him. You know, the Bible can be capsulized as this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. The, the entire Bible... All the 66 books, the 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, everything can all be boiled down and summed up to loving God and loving our neighbor as our self. Can I tell you, let me just caution you right now. Let me just tell you right now. There's an all-out war against your life and my life. You say, what, what, is, the, what is this assault of the enemy? What is this, this battle that we're in? Satan will do and is doing everything he can to pull you away from your love for God. To pull you out of that wonderful and delightful relationship that you have with the Lord. So, Pastor, how do I delight in God? What does that even look like? I can tell you the qualities of a person that delight in God. One is that they long for God's presence. I mean, somebody that you don't like, you'll avoid them like the plague. I don't say amen right when I'm preaching good. But somebody you love, you want to be with them, don't you? You want to be with them. And if we love God, you know what we are? We are worshipers because we want to be in his presence. Do you know we were created to worship? 
The Bible said we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why? That we may proclaim the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into wonderful light. Those who delight in him, see, trust, delight, they're worshipers. But also I think there's another quality, and that is those who delight in him serve him joyfully. You know, it says in the Psalms, it says, serve the Lord with gladness. When we delight in God, see, this is how to live for God. When we delight in God, we count it a joy to serve him. We count it a joy to use our gifts, our talents, and our abilities to serve the Lord. And, and by the way, all of you have gifts and talents. All of you have some kind of anointing from God that God has called you to use those talents. And we need to serve him joyfully, delighting in the Lord. I think another quality of a joyful delight person that delights in God is they're, they're grateful and they, they, they express gratitude for the mercies of the Lord because they see, they're joyful because they see what God has done. They, and, and mostly the cross in the suffering in Jesus on the cross. And I think something else, they love God's people because if you delight in God, you delight in what God delights in. And what does God delight in? He loves his church. He loves his people. In fact, he said that in John 17, 23, Jesus is praying, and we get in on the prayer, and he says, I am them and you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them, and have loved them as you have loved me. Now think about this. Love them, the people. As, as, as you've loved me. Jesus said the Father loves God's people just like he loves Jesus, just as much. That's pretty overwhelming to think that God would love me like he loves Jesus. Why in the world would he ever do that? I'm not loving. I'm not, a, I'm not lovable sometimes, but yeah, that's God. Come on, that's God. And we need to love God. And we need to delight in God. And we need to be, we're, and, we're, and, and I think when we delight in God, we're unashamed of him. We want to tell people about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I notice this. Look at verse Psalm 37, 5 quickly. It says, commit. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. We trust we delight, but we also commit. And that means, once again, we fully commit our lives to the Lord. The word commit here is a verb which means to roll. We, roll, we, we turn it over to the Lord. Have you ever been in prayer and you turn something over to God, but before you hour, you took it back again? Am I the only one that's done that? I mean, you, gave, you had a great time of prayer, and you wrote it on the Lord, and you prayed in the Spirit, and you worshiped God, and you read the Scripture, but then an hour or less than a day, you had taken all those burdens back. But God said, if you're going to please me, and you're going to live the kind of life I want you to live, he said this, I want you to commit it to me. I want you to commit your life to me. That means this, commit your plans to me. Commit your desires to me, your problems, your anxiety. Trust in me. Commit it to me. Now, it also means this, if I've committed it to God, I've stopped manipulating circumstances. And i stopped manipulating people. A lot of that goes on, by the way. That can go on in churches. That can go on in families, that can go on in marriages, that can go on in businesses, where we're, instead of committing things to God, 
we're helping God, but we're not really helping God because God doesn't need our help. Abraham and Sarah are a great illustration of this. Sarah said, listen, I can't have any children, but you see, God had given the promise, Sarah, you're going to have a child, right? Sarah, you're going to have a child. There's a child that's coming from your womb, and Abraham is the father, and he's going to be the son of promise, but yet, instead of waiting on God, they tried to help God. Be careful, be careful, be careful of getting ahead of the Lord. The scripture says that Sarah came up with this plan, sleep with my maidservant, Hagar. And do you realize the disaster that was? I mean, we're facing that in the world today. The, the conflict in the world, in the Middle East, stems from that manipulative decision. If we're committing something to the Lord, we're not manipulating, we're not tweaking, we're not, we're not behind the scenes, but we're praying and we're leaving it in the hands of God and we're letting God do it. Come on, amen? You know who else was a manipulator? Judas. Judas was a manipulator. Judas was trying to get Jesus to do certain things. He was going to the high priest. He was saying, hey, you'll do this and give him money. And he was saying, well, Jesus is going to be here. He was one of those guys working all the angles. And it turned out disastrous. And that man is in hell today because he was a manipulator. We need to commit our lives to God. And then it says this, and I'm, I'm, cl I'm close to being done here. Verse 7, be still. Everyone say, be still. We live in a world of constant motion. I can't even imagine a world before man-made light and man-made equipment of planes. And, you know, my wife's grandmother was born before airplanes. She was born in the, in the 1800s, late 1800s. And uh, she remembers the first time, this is funny, they interviewed her when she was like 99 years old. They, they interviewed her grandmother. And she had grown up in a, she lived in a, a side of a dugout at one time up in Oklahoma somewhere before it was, I guess, a, I guess it was a territory back then. But she, she, on, the, on the little recording, she remembers the first time she saw a car and a motorcycle. She said it scared them so bad, they jumped. They called it, the, instead of the ditch, the bar ditch. She said that thing was coming down through there and said we jumped in the bar ditch and we watched the, little, the car go by and we watched the motorcycle go by and somebody said, who would have thought that thing would have had a calf that looked like that? <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> car and there's the calf, you know. Everybody say, be still. One of the most difficult things to do is wait on God. We need to constantly remember Romans 8, 28. We need to quote it every day. And we need to remember this. When we are waiting, God is working. When we are waiting, God is working. Our inactivity doesn't mean God, God's inactivity. Isaiah said this, that the world has never seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Do you realize what's happening when we're waiting? Do you realize the incredible promises that are in the scripture of those who wait? You know what happens when we wait? One of the things that happen when you wait, your strength is being renewed. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You don't realize that you're getting stronger 
You're not losing the battle. You're gaining the victory. Another thing that happens is when you're waiting on God, your plans are going to succeed. When you manipulate, you're going to lose. When you manipulate people, circumstances, things, you're going to lose. It's going to be a disaster. But it says here, may you give the desire of your, of your heart and make all of your plans succeed, Psalm 20 and 4. When you're wait, waiting, you're succeeding. Here's something else that happens. When you're waiting, you're, God increases our expectancy. Our expectation is increased. It says in the Psalms, In the morning, Lord, you have heard my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. When you're waiting on God, there's a promise that you're going to get clear, clear direction. Because you're waiting on God, trust in the Lord with all your heart, it says. Do not lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him. And he will, he will direct your paths. As you wait on God, you are winning. He's working. Wait. And lastly, do not fret. Verse 8. He said it up earlier, but here again, verse 8. Refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. Do not fret. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. It, it literally is kind of um, an idiomatic kind of expression. It really means this. Do not let worry and anger hold you. It's kind of how it, what it means. What it means is this. We can, it's, it means thing, your, anger begins to warm up is what it means. You're fretting over a situation. You see a situation and it's evil. It's wrong. I don't know about you, but when I see injustice, I, I get messed up. I get twisted around. I, I'll just be honest with you. I'm that guy that's like, hey, that's, that's wrong. That shouldn't be happening. But, but the scripture says that if you fret over those things, all of a sudden it will lead to anger. So really the, it, it's an idiomatic expression that means do not worry. Do not let worry and anger hold you. Now you know what? No, 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 I'm almost done. We can, we can get frustrated over people, over situations that it can lead to frustration, and, it, and we can become angry, and we can fret to the point of frustration. But listen, this happens when we focus on the wrong things. We're focused on what someone did, and I've done this, so I'm, I'm, I'm the biggest sinner in here. We can focus on an injustice. We can focus on a situation or a person instead of focusing on the Lord. And knowing that in time, all evil will be put down. Knowing that God is a just God and he will bring justice and righteousness to his people. Now hear this. So instead of fretting over a situation, today let's choose faith. Let's choose trust in the Lord. Let's choose delight in the Lord. Let's choose commitment to the Lord. Let's choose patience in waiting before the Lord. Let's choose worship and over worry. And let's choose faith over fear. Why? Because of what God promised in this last verse, in these last two verses, we, we're going to choose those things. We're choosing trust. We're choosing delight. We're choosing commitment to the Lord. We're choosing patience and waiting on the Lord. We're choosing worship over worry and faith over fretting. Why? Because of verse 9 through 11, Three verses says, 
for those who are evil will be destroyed and those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. In a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, you will not find them, but the meek will inherit the land and will enjoy peace and prosperity. I can tell you, we should trust God and he will work it all out. And in the end, we will gain the victory in Jesus' name.